Good morning, all. Welcome to Coffee with Jim, discussions with influential healthcare leaders. Our discussion this morning is titled The Rising Tide, Physician Women in Leadership. While women comprise over half of today's medical students, men continue to dominate physician leadership. According to the American Medical Association, women account for just 3% of healthcare CMOs, 6% of department chairs, and 9% of division chiefs. So let's play devil's advocate. Who cares? Why does this even matter? A short answer is staff and patients tend to ask women physicians for assistance more often. As a result, women are more likely to spend more time with patients. Women physicians strongly enhance the patient experience and thus clinical outcomes. In addition, one study from JAMA notes that female physicians had significantly lower mortality rates and readmission rates for their patients than their male counterparts. Women physician leaders are more likely to lead with a collaborative approach. As a result, the research shows women increase overall productivity of healthcare organizations. To summarize, organizations and teams that don't maximize their full populations of physicians, their full workforce, will be left behind. So while we're not going to solve all of these issues today, we will touch on some of the things that hold women back in leadership roles and some solutions toward increasing the numbers of women in leadership roles. So if you listeners have any comments or reactions to any part of today's discussion, by all means, contact me or any of our five expert panelists here who are experienced, innovative, and unique leaders sharing their insights and experience. So delighted to introduce you all. First, Dr. Anna Bortnick, Associate Professor, Department of Medicine, Montefiore Medical Center, and Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Dr. Aisha Cotter. Hello, Aisha. Assistant Professor and Associate Consultant, Ibrahim Cardiac Hospital and Research Institute, here with us from Dhaka, Bangladesh. Dr. Kevin Lachlan, Professor Emeritus, Harvard Medical School, and Dr. Nandita Scott, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, Co-Director, Corrigan Women's Heart Health Program, Director, Cardiovascular Medicine Section, Massachusetts General Hospital, and Dr. Kamala Tamarisa, who is a Clinical Cardiac Electrophysiologist and Cardiac MRI Specialist with Texas Cardiac Arrhythmia Institute. She is the only woman on her team of 25 electrophysiologists. Good morning, Kamala. Good morning. So to start with our vision for this discussion today, I'm delighted to turn toward our first wonderful experienced leader, Dr. Nandita Scott. Thank you, Nandita. Thank you so much and good morning. I'm honored to be part of this vital discussion. I am fortunate to be a leader of a large group of non-invasive cardiologists, but looking back, I never would have imagined that a role like this would even have been a possibility for me. Women role models and positions of leadership were scarce. It is, however, heartening to see that things are changing. With important discussions such as these and more women in leadership positions, we are making it seem like less of an impossibility. When I first became a leader, one of the most important principles I learned was to determine the values that I wanted to lead with. This may actually seem really simple, but when you're faced with a difficult conversation or situation, knowing what your guiding principle is really helps with consistency of leadership and genuine leadership. Each individual will need to just determine what those qualities are for them. But for me, this was fairness, transparency, and creating a culture of support and promotion. I also think that sometimes it is forgotten that the purpose of the leader is to serve those that they are representing with a goal of moving moving the entire group together forward instead of self-serving goals. Leading with a culture of support and promotion really does need to start at the very top. To be more specific and granular, leaders need to set the tone by offering junior faculty specific opportunities, speaking opportunities, writing opportunities, committee opportunities, and leading with the team, not I approach. Any team should never depend solely on one person for their success, as otherwise, if that person was to leave, the team could potentially collapse. 
The success of any team will depend on nurturing more junior faculty. A culture of one-upmanship has never been tolerated and should not be tolerated as a rising tribe truly lifts all boats. Great thoughts. Love the image of the rising tide. Thank you for your great work, not only in Massachusetts, but nationally and internationally. With that, allow me to introduce our next wonderful leader, Dr. Anna Bortnick. Anna, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Jim, for the opportunity to talk about women in leadership. I'm going to talk a little bit about the academic perspective because women's success is institutional success. We have to identify and remove institutional barriers. Women are often under-sponsored. This is a concept that has uh, evidence behind it. Institutions can fill the role of sponsor. And the reason that's important is because they can do three things right away today that would really help accelerate women's success within the academic world. First, academic women have to have an academic day. To achieve the criteria for promotion, to rise in the ranks, you need time. Time to develop and work on independent projects. There has to be time for academic women to develop their identity because their success is institutional success. Number two, institutions can waive fees for institutional resources. They can provide core facility, statistical analysis, database access, study coordinator time, assistance with paying page charges, individual seed pilot funds to pay for projects that could go on to bigger funding. And when women have seed money and startup and investment, then they can turn that into a bigger project, but they're gonna need that institutional support. So anticipate the need and create the programs. Number three, pay gaps. We are at a point where we should close all of those pay gaps. There are national standards and we should have routine audits so that these pay gaps don't enlarge and persist. Let's evaluate access to the high reward procedures, cases, patients, complexity, programming, leadership roles, Ask the women to participate in these things. Let's close the pay gaps and leave them closed. And lastly, one thought for our industry sponsors who want to grow their reach and to promote their products. Well, women are excellent partners. They would love to be site PIs, principal investigators for your trials. And women see a lot of women patients. So if you are under-enrolling women in your trials, reach out to your women site PIs and engage them in how to become a successful site PI and give them the opportunity to do that work with you. Remember that women's success is institutional success so that we're all stronger together if our women are strong. Bravo, Anna. I love the, the segue from some of the comments from Nandita, who led with values-based leadership and some of your thoughts on identity and, of course, institutional practices that can continue to support women in leadership. So thank you. And that's a great transition now to our next wonderful panelist, Dr. Aisha Cotter, with us this morning from DACA. Thanks, Aisha. Thank you very much, Jim. I'm delighted to be among women leaders, physician leaders that I have a lot of respect for. And thank you for the opportunity for allowing me to share my perspectives. 
So as you mentioned, I'm an early career interventional cardiologist based in Dhaka, Bangladesh, with a slightly different environment and culture set up to that of the US. And I also continued to work at the same center that I trained in. In my context, I'd like to touch on some of the conflicts, so to speak, that I've had to navigate as an early career. Relevant to this discussion is the issue of the leaky pipeline in medicine that you touched upon earlier, Jim, in that although in most parts of the world, women outnumber men enrolled in medical school, as their careers progress, there are far fewer women in academic medicine and leadership positions than there are men. At the forefront of these issues is that of implicit biases, not only limited to sex biases, which predominantly arise from a cultural paternalism particularly common in this part of the world, but also that of age, on top of what we very well know is the hierarchy in medicine. So the younger woman in a position of leadership is something that some people struggle to accept, more so when they've seen you train as a fellow or a junior doctor as well. I don't only refer to my own experiences, but such conflicts are often encountered, especially at the beginning of people's careers in, say, in the cath labs, where there might be a sort of hesitancy or second guessing of your decision making. This is quite difficult to navigate, especially because as an early career, you're also dealing with the imposter syndrome, irrespective of these implicit biases that you have to deal with additionally. So I guess I would defer to the greater wisdom of the others on this podcast, but in all my humility as an early career, if I were to offer potential solutions, I'd say that it's critical to develop good interpersonal skills, practice managing biases, and good communication to engage in healthy conflict. There's a fine line between being assertive versus coming off as sounding aggressive, but it's also important not to minimize or underplay your knowledge or expertise for the sake of avoiding conflict. This is something that I've realized, but still have some difficulty uh, putting into practice. I think that that confidence will come from an enhanced level of self-awareness, not only of one's own abilities and expertise, but also in being mindful of one's own subconscious biases. Dr. Tamarisa, would you have any words of advice that perhaps you might have wished your younger self had been told as an early career? Thank you, Aisha, and thank you, uh, Jim, for this wonderful platform. I wish I had all the answers, but uh, I'll touch on a few things here. Okay, you mentioned self-doubt and implicit bias. Let's add a few more to those stereotypes, right? Sex stereotypes, professional envy, harassment, sexual harassment in workplace, and then the pay gaps. And we have enough data. We don't have time to go into each of those papers. But uh, what can we do at a personal level and amongst peers? Let's talk about how to break the inner barrier and the barrier within amongst the close circles. Uh, two points that I'll touch on is allyship. What is allyship? Basically, be an ally to yourself. Start with yourself. Be a self-advocate. Negotiate for yourself. Do some research. And before you sign a contract, look into it. Okay, what is the track to the leadership, partnership? Know those. And then when you see discrimination, sexual harassment, any comments that stem up from the implicit bias, use the micro-interventions. You know micro-interventions are very powerful in undoing the microaggressions. And then sponsor each other for a position or a paper. If you don't have time, sponsor your friend. 
a female friend say, hey, you know, I got an offer. How about you take it up because I don't have the bandwidth. And then credit sharing. We know women tend to shy away from claiming their achievements. So what if we just become allies and sponsor each other and celebrate success stories together, empower other women to sit in the boardroom because that's where the major decisions are made. Then undo the queen bee phenomenon. Those in leadership positions as women, we need to make sure the path and the ladder is left for the younger ones to climb up. And then the role of male allies is uh, you know, very important. I know my uh, next uh, speaker will touch on that. Before we go on to the you know, next speaker, I have another comment, which is customizing yourself. What is customizing yourself? Because you know, a standard solution for all the problems is not gonna be possible because the work scenarios are different. Uh, the people we work with are different. Know your North Star, know your missions and goals, and then become an effective negotiator and for self. When doubts set in, and that's the imposter syndrome, right? We all been there. So know that it's a collective problem. We all go through imposter syndrome at some point or the other. I think there are good days and bad days. How do we overcome that? Just know it's a collective problem. Journal your achievements. And the important thing is to know that your worth is not limited to your achievements alone. And use grit when you face microaggressions and customize it to that particular situation. Another thing as a leader, establish trust within your department before you set harder goals. Then practice, be tough on issues at hand without getting personal or focusing on the person. This is a work in progress for me. The last philosophical point is don't lose yourself while leading an organization. And thank you for this wonderful platform. I'll hand it over to our excellent male ally here, Dr. Laughlin. Excellent. Thank you so much for your uh, great points. And I think we have more to discuss about that in just a second, but we'll turn it over quickly to Dr. Kevin Laughlin. Kevin, delighted to have you here. Tell us more about how we can be advocates for our women colleagues. If you look at this superficially, it can be viewed in a sense of fairness. But quite frankly, from a society's point of view, you can view it from a very selfish perspective. And that is our society and our specialty and our profession will go as far as it can if we utilize all of our resources. And right now, not supporting our female physicians as effectively as we should, we're literally squandering some of our talent pool. When you look back at some of the statistics, as recently as 1980, 24.9% of medical school graduates that year were female. It rose to 47% in 2018. 2019, it broke the 50% mark. So now more than half of our medical school graduates are females. If we don't treat them equally and fairly, we're literally squandering some of our very valuable resources. If we dig down even deeper, about 60% of our college graduates are female. So again, unless we utilize the educated females in society, we're literally squandering some of our talent resources. And we would no longer want to waste the resources of electricity and other valuable natural resources. The female talent pool is critical that has been underutilized. And I think it's not an overstatement to look back that the rise of the female talent pool really had its genesis over a half century ago with the development of artificial birth control. Because what happened traditionally 
century after century and throughout the world was that women were inappropriately overburdened with the responsibility of not just childbirth, obviously, but child care and child rearing. And particularly in a profession as demanding time-wise and intellectually as medicine, women were literally burdened disproportionately with the responsibility of child rearing. So when we talk about female leadership in medicine, we need to look beyond the infrastructure of medicine, but also look at our institutions. What kind of childcare facilities do our, facil do our institutions have? Is there a place for a woman who is early in her career, who may well not have either the financial resources or the family resources to have someone care for her child or children while she's working at the hospital? Is there something that the institution can be and should be doing in order to provide that infrastructure for our young female physicians? Men, by and large, traditionally have taken a lesser role in child rearing. Now, that is beginning to change, but I think it's fair to say, unless we embrace that more fully, women are going to continue to be unfairly burdened with greater responsibilities to move forward in medicine. The other thing that I think we should be aware of is that if we look at our legal colleagues, the legal profession is doing better than the medical profession. If you look at, even though in terms of medical school enrollment, females have just recently broken through the 50% margin. In terms of law schools, according to US News and World Report, 13 of the top 20 rated law schools in the country have a majority of female students as opposed to male students. And overall, the percentage of female law students is about 55.29% or 10% greater than female medical students. We need to begin to address just taking the best and the brightest and really be blind to whatever sex that applicant may have. In many ways, we can learn something from Martin Luther King, the same way that the past half century we've struggled with racial equality, sexual equality is going along the same route. If we remember Martin Luther King's quote of, let us judge someone not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, let us judge someone not by whether they have a Y chromosome and an X chromosome or two X chromosomes, but let us judge someone by their natural inherent talent and qualifications. Recently, I, I wrote an article, which I, I found very interesting and I'll share with you. And that is, there is evidence that the Y chromosome, which determines the male gender, has been inexorably getting smaller and smaller over the last several millennia. Now, the Y chromosome only contains about 50 genes as opposed to 10,000 genes on the X chromosome. When you look further, really the only gene of significance on the Y chromosome is the SRY gene, which is the sex determining gene. So with that, a little bit tongue in cheek, but nonetheless, let us realize that sex is a fairly arbitrary 
superficial definition of who we are. And moving forward for our profession and our country and our society, we really need to catch up and make sure that people are judged by their inherent ability, not by whether they have two X chromosomes or an X and a Y. And that will be the best thing, not just for our profession, but for our society. Wow, great thoughts there, Kevin. Thank you for those statistics. Eye-opening. Yeah, we have some few extra minutes for discussion here before we go to wrap up. I wonder if anyone has any other comments or questions for each other. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Um, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for speaking up. I guess I, my question to you is, what do you think the role is of men in helping to promote women and how you've done that in your career? I think, quite frankly, men need to be more expansive, more open-minded, less insecure. One of the most important lessons to be learned is to really think of yourself as a mentor. Quite honestly, in my career as a program director, I felt equally proud of the success of my female residents as opposed to male residents. What you really want to uh, see yourself as is a mentor. A phrase that, that I've often used is our role should be to promote and make you better than you think you could be, to be a better surgeon than you thought you could be walking in as an intern, to make you a better cardiologist than you thought you could be. That, when you get right down to it, is what our profession is all about, to help all of us uh, reach our potential. And let's face it, we are all here for a short period of time. And our greatest legacy personally is our children. And our greatest legacy professionally are the people that we trained. And that, I think, if you keep that in mind, it will flow naturally how to treat those around you and how to promote them. Uh, I found, you know, uh, throughout my career, there were two types of chiefs of service. There were two types of program directors. There were those who felt threatened by the success of those around them. And there were those who felt empowered by the success of those around them. Now, I don't know how you naturally teach that. Probably a lot has to do with your parents and how you were raised. But that's certainly something we can be aware of when we work with their in our institution, and we are trying to select out people uh, in positions of authority, is that a, a secure person who's empowered by the success of those uh, who surround them? Great question, Andita, and, and great thoughts there, Kevin. We'll begin to kind of wrap up themes and takeaways. Uh, for the moment, I'll turn it to our colleague, Dr. Tamarisa. Kamala, any thoughts on key takeaways? Yeah, so I learned a lot from this podcast, and I hope our listeners will feel the same. The key highlights are the role models and team growth is uh, very important. Second one is women's success is institutional success, and that's a powerful statement. There's a lot to digest there. That was very powerful. There we also touched on an early career voice, uh, talking about the biases, the implicit bias, and then you know the microaggressions, etc. And there's a lot to learn from her. And then uh, the male ally, of course, had a 
powerful voice of how can men be part of the sponsors and the mentors. The key way the men can support women is being by effective mentors and sponsors. Thank you so much for that summary. Thank you all. A couple of closing thoughts. Of course, this is such a broad and deep topic. Of course, we didn't solve everything today. We're just scratching the surface. Listeners, if you have any thoughts and reactions, please feel free to reach out to any of our expert panelists here today and or to me. Key takeaways, as we just heard, values-based leadership. Thank you, Nandita. Systemic challenges and opportunities. Thank you, Anna. Communication, interpersonal challenges. Aisha, thank you so much for those thoughts and that perspective perspective. Kamala, so many important ideas and thoughts about allyship, breaking down barriers, um, developing the me, the brand. And Kevin, great thoughts there on taking a bigger picture view and male advocacy and support. Thank you all for the thoughts and ideas about helping the tide reach more boats. Granted, we only scratched the surface. would love to keep this dialogue going with all of you and our listeners. Let's keep doing that. In the meantime, thank you all for this discussion today. That was Coffee with Jim, Conversations with Influential Healthcare Thought Leaders. Our topic today was Women Physician Leaders. Join us at jamesmckenna.org for more information about this and other topics to come in the future.